Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to start to read at verse 3. Matthew 24 and 3 says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Amen. The Gospel of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25, there's a strong focus by the Lord on the events that will be signs or indicators of the coming of Jesus and of the end of the world. And those that particularly enjoy studying prophecy and end-time events will often look into Matthew 24 and 25. But some of the things that Jesus listed here, he gave us a warning against deception, against false Christs. He spoke about wars and rumors of wars, of conflicts between nations and kingdoms, of famine and earthquakes in diverse places, persecution for those who carry the name of Jesus, which is not incredibly compatible with a very modern, uh, sugar-free, sugar-filled version of Western Christianity. He spoke about offense, betrayal, and hatred. He said there would be false prophets that would deceive many, and because there is so much iniquity, the love of God, the love of many, sorry, will grow cold. Despite all of this going on and all of that being very sobering and presenting us with a lot of challenges, Jesus declared that he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this morning, the title of this message of this lesson is simply Endure. Endure. The word endure brings to mind circumstances or situations that involve struggle or challenge. When we, we hear that word, it doesn't give us the impression of everything being easy and just flowing along without any effort or a very minimal effort required. And being required to endure is a part of the equation in your life or in your situation. You know straight away that it is going to demand some effort. You know that if you're going to endure, it's going to take some focus. And there's also a reasonably good chance that it will involve discomfort. Endurance is called that for a reason. It means that you are going through something, you are putting up with something, you are overcoming adverse situations. And when you walk with God, as you grow in understanding 
of what this Christian life is about, you become aware that there is an opposition. Anybody can say amen to that? There is an opposition, there is a conflict between the ways of God and the ways of the world. And it is a gap that is widening, not coming closer together. The gap between God's ways and the world's ways, that gap is widening even further. And the truth is that if we do not realize and recognize that the gap is widening, then we must be drifting with the world that is around about us. The book of Proverbs warns us about what can happen with just a little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, or a gradual easing off and not remaining vigilant. And while we recognize that simply making lots of rules is an unsuccessful approach to serving the Lord, we must, we must take the principles of God's Word and apply them to our lives, put a landmark somewhere on the ground and declare that we will not slide, that we will hold the line, that there is, there, we are not going to drift into the chaos that surrounds us because God has not changed But the world continues to change. It continues to seek further into the chaos and destruction of unrestrained wickedness, spiraling further and further downwards. And as believers, what this produces, this this desire to walk with God, this desire to please God, to to apply God's word to our lives in the present, because if, if this book doesn't have a present application, then it becomes irrelevant. But it has an application both in the need of our salvation, both in the fact that we need to be born again and saved from our sins, and it continues to have an application in what that life then looks like once we have been born again. Amen. And this produces, we become aware of both an internal and an external struggle that is a part of this walk with God. And there's there's probably a little heaviness in this message this morning, but I'm hoping to encourage us by the time we get to the end. This struggle can be internal because you and I still have a sinful, carnal nature that although we are born again, although we want to please God, it remains naturally drawn to the lust of the flesh. It remains in its default setting naturally drawn towards the desires of the pleasures of sin. I wish I could stand here and declare to you today that when you were born again, that sinful things no longer held any interest. And I wish that was the case. This life would be a whole lot easier if that was the case. But we are still drawn towards the pleasures of sinful behavior. And we also need to recognize a part of our nature is that we are still naturally drawn to sinful reactions and responses to people and circumstance. Amen. But we, we endure those seasons, we go through those difficulties because there are times when temptation seems easier to resist. And then there are other times where it seems really, really hard. Is there any, any honest believers in the building? Sometimes it's more of a struggle than other times. That's just part of the human experience where it can be hard to stand against the pull of sin. But we endure those seasons because to allow temptation to be entertained in our minds produces sin and that leads to death. James 1, 14 and 15 says, but every man is tempted. That's you and me. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
And then James says those well-known words that when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The struggle for the believer exists between the being enticed, if you think of that in a simple picture of being a hook with bait on it, being enticed, the struggle exists between that enticement and the conception or the actual taking of the bait. That's where we struggle as believers. Amen. That is the internal struggle that we face. The walk with God includes sometimes an external struggle in that sometimes you will have other people that will ridicule you, that will persecute you. You will quickly find that your point of view and your convictions about moral and social issues are in the minority. The views that we hold based upon the Word of God are very much in the minority. And by holding to those views and not being willing to compromise them, you will be described as bigoted, as hateful, and those people who hold the positions that you do will be described as the reason so many are suffering because of the hatefulness of the things that we stand for. The way that you choose to live your life will sometimes bring conviction on others. And just like us, we people don't like conviction. We don't want to feel conviction. Your value system cannot be the same as the world. If you're going to walk with God, you have to have a completely different value system. 1 John 2 and 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's not talking about the people of the world. That's talking about the practices, the philosophies, the culture, the sinful behavior. God loved the world. He was talking about humanity. When it says here, don't love the world, it's talking about the ways of living and the sinful conduct and attitudes and value systems. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 3, he said, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, or as it is appropriate, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul said this church, this group of believers in Thessalonica were going through or they were enduring persecution and tribulation. And Paul commended them for their patience and their faith, or we might say their faithfulness, their continuing to walk with God. And even though it was counterintuitive or, or contrary to the natural way that we think or understand, their faith was actually getting stronger. Not only was their faith getting stronger, but their love toward each other was growing more and more. The love of God, the kind of love that God produces in us by the Holy Ghost, is not a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it includes the power to overcome, the power to live for Jesus, the power to endure. Because humanity has proven since the beginning of time that the knowledge of right and wrong is not enough to produce right behavior. Knowledge alone is not enough to produce endurance. Love is the motive that causes us to endure, not the warm, fuzzy feeling kind of love, but because I love him because he first loved me. 
And because I love him, I want to please him. Humanity, you, only, you don't have to look very far to see that there are things that people know are wrong and they choose to do them anyway. There are things and behaviors and habits and practices that people understand very rationally that are detrimental to their well-being, detrimental to their relationships, detrimental to their mental health, their physical health, their family health, and yet they choose to do them anyway. So knowledge alone is not enough. Knowledge is good, but it's not enough. We have to be motivated by love to please God. That's why the first commandments are when we establish that there is one God that we must love him with everything that we have. What did Jesus say was one of the signs of the end? Matthew 24 and 12, because iniquity shall abound. Because there's so much wickedness, the love of many shall wax cold. So in the midst of all the things he spoke about, the persecution, the false Christ, the false prophets, the offenses within and without, love will wax cold or it will slowly fade. We, however, must endure to the end. That means we cannot allow our love to wax cold. We must continue to strive to keep the first and second commandments of loving God with everything that we have and our neighbor as ourselves. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 says, For consider him, speaking of Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. The very people that he came to save, the very nation that was supposed to belong to him, and particularly those who were supposed to be responsible for ministering his word and his will, they were the ones that mocked him, that ridiculed him, that crucified him. And yet his endurance on the cross was a product of the joy, the Bible says, that was set before him or the world that he loved enough that he wanted to reach those that would hear the gospel. He endured that, not because he knew it was right, but because of his love for a lost and a dying world, he was willing to endure such strong opposition from the creation that he came to reach. It was love that pushed him to endure, that caused him to press on. Amen. His love for those that would hear the gospel, that would hear, that would obey, that would believe, that would be saved, he considered that worth it. And in what is considered to be the last epistle, the last letter of the Apostle Paul, he gave instruction to Timothy who would be responsible for carrying on where Paul left off. He would step into that leadership ministry role. He didn't prophesy over Timothy, sadly, of wealth and fame and prosperity. But he basically said to Timothy, brace yourself. <laughs> brace yourself, Timothy. There's some things coming, Tim. I'd love to tell you about wealth and blessing and goodness, but in 2 Timothy 2 and 3, Paul said, you need to endure hardness like a soldier you need to be able to go through opposition and conflict and difficulty two chapters later in chapter four and as part of his instructions he said endure afflictions when you are afflicted whether that comes from friend or foe or however that comes you are to endure it timothy you are to go through it and i imagine and this is just my imagination so you can switch off now if you want to but I imagine that there were times in the years that followed 
that when Timothy was in the midst of a struggle, he pulled out an old worn-out epistle from an elder and read those words again. This This is what Paul was talking about. He read those words on whatever medium that was presented to him on about endurance, about struggle, about being an overcomer and being willing to go through affliction and somehow he found comfort in them. We talked about mothers a lot today and anyone who has the responsibility to prepare someone for the future needs to not only teach them skills but also teach them to endure Ultimately, a parent's goal is to raise a child into a functioning adult that is capable of handling life without them. If your 30-year-old is still coming home because they don't know how to put the petrol in their car, something is wrong. The idea is that one day they will not be dependent upon you anymore. That is, amongst the other things, that is the goal. And the Apostle Paul was trying to prepare Timothy for what he would face when Paul was no longer there, for what was ahead of him. And as as I have got older and reflected on the men of God that poured into my life, I understand that what at the time I thought was perhaps a little harsh or a little demanding was in fact preparation for a time when their voices would become silent and I would have to apply what was put into me. That's why they were the way they were. Paul could have said a whole he could have said a whole lot of things to Timothy. This is his final letter. Paul knew that the clock was ticking. He only had a very short period of time before his life was coming to an end, and there are many things he could have said. But when you read the second epistle of Timothy, you see that he wanted Timothy to know there's going to be a lot of things going on, but you've got to endure. You've got to hang on. Now let me balance this by saying I don't want everybody to leave here this morning thinking that, wow, this walk with God is just going to be constant misery and suffering and that every day I'm just going to have to get up and suffer endlessly. That, that simply isn't true. The world suffers. People that aren't trying to serve God suffer. Sometimes at their own hands, sometimes at the hand of others. But the same apostle said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 to 58, he said, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, therefore, brethren, because he always gives us victory, be ye steadfast, be unmovable, always abound in the work of God because you need to be reminded that what you do for God is not in vain. It is not a waste of time. When you get up and you do what is right because you love God, not because how you feel, you might be feeling the complete opposite But Paul is saying, don't forget, it's worth it. It is worth it. It is not in vain. And if you talk to believers, and I would encourage you, if you're young, either naturally or young spiritually, to talk to believers that have been around for a while, that have got some miles on their clocks, you will hear testimonies of the keeping, saving, and delivering power of Jesus. Yes, they've been through some storms, but they're still standing. That's endurance. That's endurance. Amen. I want to consider a couple of aspects of endurance, and I don't think I'm going to preach too long this morning, that we may perhaps overlook in the Scriptures. We get this whole resisting sin 
standing against the way the world wants us to live and not conforming to that. We, I think most of us get that at least at a basic level. But there are some other things the Scripture teaches us to endure. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and much like what Jesus was speaking of what we read in Matthew, Paul is speaking about things that are going to happen at the end. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle said, I charge thee therefore before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, wanting to hear the things they want to hear. He said, Timothy, keep preaching the word. Don't change the message. Don't water it down. He said, in season and out of season. That means when it's easy and when it's hard. That means when it's raining and when the sun is shining. That means when the people come up and say, great word, Brother Timothy. And when they say, I don't like this preacher anymore. He's mean and nasty. Keep preaching the word, Timothy. Keep preaching the word when it's popular, when it's unpopular. Teach what is right. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Firstly, who is the they in this verse? The they that will not endure sound doctrine. It is people who at some point did believe. They did believe what the Word of God said. But for whatever reason, they are not willing to continue. They don't want to continue to be interested in sound doctrine. That word sound means solid, accurate, unchanging. Who's ever heard the expression safe and sound? You've gone somewhere, we got home safe and sound. Okay, safe, we understand. Sound means that you got home completely. You're not busted or hurt or anything. Everything is whole and well. That's what that means. So when we're talking about sound doctrine, it is whole. It is complete. It is uncompromised. Nothing is left out or lost. When Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed, he spoke about four different results that different kinds of soil produced. And and he went on to explain the issue that each kind of soil had and why it was a problem in its fruitfulness. And when he got to the stony ground and he gave his diagnosis in Marks 4 and 17, he said that the, the, the seed, when it gets into the stony ground, it has no root in itself. What does it do? It endures for a time. But afterwards, when affliction or persecution arises, why does it arise? For the word's sake. For the truth of God's word. When, when persecution arises, immediately they are offended. So these, these people that are described as being like stony ground, they, they will endure, they will stick at it for a while. They'll be there, they're, they're going okay, but when persecution comes, they're offended. And it stops. When standing for truth or being confronted by truth is not acceptable, offense immediately follows and fruitfulness ceases. That's what happens. See, the Word of God is not Netflix. You can't binge watch your favorite episodes. It doesn't work like that. You've got to have the whole counsel of God. Amen. The whole council. That's, that's basically 
what Paul was saying when he spoke about having itching ears. He was saying there are people that want to hear the nice parts, the gentle parts, the parts that have goodness and blessing and abundance, not the parts that bring conviction, that require repentance and transformation and endurance. They didn't want those parts. They wanted their favorite portions. You know, they just wanted the promise box. Have you seen a promise box? I don't know if they still have them anymore. You know, a little box and you'd have all these scriptures on a little card in there. And I don't have a problem with that, but very rarely those things were always faith-building promises. Weren't necessarily a lot of warnings in there or, you know, repent and turn from your wicked ways. It was normally something like the Lord is your shield and your buckler. and, And that's good. We need those promises, but we need all of the Word of God. Amen. It it strikes me, and maybe it's just me, but it strikes me as an unusual phrase to suggest that sound doctrine is something to be endured. I never really picked that up before. Maybe I'm a little bit slow. That's okay. But when we understand what it means, it means that we are bringing ourselves before the Word of God. That word endure in that particular setting is, is talking about lifting ourselves against something. So we are bringing ourselves back to the Word, letting God examine us we are making ourselves accountable to the word of god and let's be honest that requires some endurance (laughs) to be honest enough james told us you know if you look into the word of god see what manner of man you are and then just forget about it nothing changes but he said when we look into this book and we see the reflection that god wants to change and transform we have to respond that's enduring sound doctrine that's continuing to come back to him and say lord Search my heart. Lord, examine me. Lord, you know who I am and what needs to change. Help me to make myself accountable to the truth of your word. Help me to be willing to endure sound doctrine. Amen. Because the reality is, it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> We're going to keep coming back to the word of God. Jesus, Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation, he said, you've only got a little bit of strength. He said, but you've kept my word. You've endured sound doctrine. You had opposition. You had this challenge and that challenge. He didn't say you were amazing and superheroes. He said you just had a little bit of strength, but you endured sound doctrine. You held on to truth when it wasn't popular. You held on to the convictions of God's word when everybody else was letting them go. You endured sound doctrine. That's what God wants us to do, to endure sound doctrine. I want to challenge us this morning that we need to be endurers. Whatever it is you find yourself going through, it is worth it. Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he that endures to the end shall be saved. We don't know when the end is. That's the problem. I can't tell you how long. I can't tell you when Jesus is coming back. I can't tell you how long you'll be alive. They're they're the only two options for the end. Either he comes back or we check out one or the other. Whatever, whatever that time frame is, we must endure to the end. And I've got one more kind of endurance that the Word of God gives us today, and you're all going to really love this one. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son who he receives. And if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you fatherless children, I'll soften that because there's kids around, and not sons. 
Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? For they very though truly for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness under them which are exercised thereby. So what does this passage tell us we need to endure? The chastening of the Lord. If you endure chastening, if you're willing to go through that process, the chastening or the discipline of the Lord. If there is no discipline or correction in our lives, then it is as if we were fatherless. That's what the Bible says. The chastening or correction of the Lord can come through His Word. It can come through the preaching of His Word. It can come through authority that God places in our lives, whether we talk about parents in the natural or leadership in the, in the family of God. There are various ways that God can chasten us, but the Scripture tells us that He does. In fact, it says that if He loves you, He chastens you. Now that's counterintuitive for the human mind. But the Lord said our natural fathers disciplined us and we paid attention to and we respected them, whether willingly or begrudgingly. How much more our heavenly father? If our earthly fathers disciplined us in the way that they thought was best, that's what it says when it means for their pleasure. It doesn't mean they got to kick out of beating their kids. It means they were trying to do what they thought was best. But when God does it, he does it perfectly for our good. And if Jesus receives you as his child, this is what it says, and you've been born again, adopted through the infilling of the Holy Ghost, he will chasten you and scourge you. That's what it says. I didn't write it. Now, I know this is the King James, but there's not really any nice way to say scourge. <laughs> they scourged Jesus before they crucified him. That meant they tied him to a post and they flogged him. And the scripture says, just in case you thought I didn't read it properly, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That's gender neutral, ladies. You don't get a pass. We're all the sons of God. You know, like somebody said, you know, they, some people have a problem with God being masculine, but they're not worried about the devil being called he. That's just that's completely separate to my message. But if Jesus receives us, the Bible says he will chasten us. He will scourge us. Now, here's, here's what we have to watch. We need to be very careful that we do not mistake the chastening of the Lord for abandonment. Because when we go through chastening, our natural person thinks, if I'm experiencing this, he mustn't love me. He mustn't love me. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he uses the chastening to bring us into his holiness, to partake in an experience with him. And yes, guess what? It requires some endurance. The writer of Hebrews said, no chastening in the present seems joyous. I'm yet to hear a child that said, oh good, the wooden spoon. I've been waiting for this all day, hoping for an opportunity to meet the wooden spoon. No chastening in the present seems joyous. We don't enjoy being disciplined. No child likes to be smacked. 
if they do, there's a serious problem there somewhere. But later on in life, you know, we saw those videos, those kids saying those nice things about their parents. Go and ask those same parents what their kids say when they're in trouble. See if they say nice things about mum and dad. Usually it changes pretty, I don't like you very much. I don't want you for my dad. You know, these things change. Why? Because no chastening for the present seems joyous. But afterwards, afterwards, when you stop huffing and puffing and punching the pillow in your bedroom, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. That's why parenting is a long-term responsibility. It is later on that they will thank you for discipline. It's later on that they'll say, at the time I was a punk, I didn't appreciate it, but I'm grateful you tried to keep me on the straight and narrow. I'm grateful that you corrected me. I'm grateful that you disciplined me, even though at the time I didn't like it very much at all. And that's what the Bible is saying. Even the Lord chastens us. He's our Heavenly Father. His love is perfect and it's pure, but we still don't like it. But we are instructed to endure it. Because if we refuse chastening, we are fatherless. If we refuse to be chastened, it is as if we are fatherless and it disconnects us from our Heavenly Father and interferes with that relationship. And if you, if you cannot be corrected, you will never mature. Maturity in the Spirit is not solely dependent upon time. Maturity in the spiritual is dependent also upon obedience, submission, repentance, and being willing to be instructed and corrected. Now, time is a factor. You can't walk with God for a week and be Moses. I get that. But you can walk with God for a long time and still be immature. And I have been around long enough to see that people who decide from the beginning of their walk with God, I'm going to give God everything I've got, progress a lot faster than people who are stubborn and resistant and will not submit themselves to the Word of God and will not be corrected or instructed in any way. They will stay in a state of immaturity. And the tragedy of that is that if you will not allow God to instruct and correct you, you will never see His will come to pass in your life. Because if you cannot be corrected, you cannot be used. Because there's no submission. There's no accountability to God. Amen. We come back to the Apostle Paul and his second letter to Timothy. And this is just after his instructions about enduring. 2 Timothy chapter 4, many of you know this passage well. Verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. St. Timothy, they're calling my flight. I got to go. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul said, I have endured. I've hung on. And if you read his life, he went through some stuff. He went through some hardship. He went through all manner of things, but he was faithful. I want to encourage you today, you can make it. You can make it. He that began a good work in you will perform it. That's what the Bible says. You can make it all the way. But you may have to endure. 
You know, we sang a song earlier on that talked about going through fire and, and giants and, and all the other bits and pieces that said, you know, Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can speak unto a mountain, tell it to be removed and cast into the sea. And sometimes that happens, but sometimes the mountain doesn't move. Sometimes you've got to climb the mountain. Even Jesus experienced that. He went to Gethsemane and he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And he climbed a mountain that they crucified him on the top of. Stand with me if you would this morning. I want to challenge and encourage you that if you will trust God, if you will do what he says, if you will allow him to correct you and to instruct you and to guide you, you can endure to the end. He wants you to finish this thing. Paul said this crown, it's not just for me. He said it's for anybody that's looking for his appearing. Anybody that's got their eyes looking saying, Lord, I know you're coming back. I'm going to hang on. Lord, right now, it goes against everything I feel. It goes against everything in my situation. It's completely opposite to all of my circumstance, but I will endure to the end. And be so. Lift your hands and worship him with me this morning.